You're listening to BGN Radio. Why would you listen to any other Eagles <laughs> podcast with John Stolness and Brandon Lee Gallup? Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to BGN Radio. This is episode number 51. I'm John Stolness from BleedingGreenNation.com. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. we got a lot to get to here on BGN Radio. Uh, we're going to talk about some comments Howie Roseman made about Carson Wentz. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Eagles signing linebacker Zach Brown. Talk a little Malcolm Jenkins, round two of free agency. Where the Eagles offense ranks among the league's best. Some uh, some news regarding Eagles draft picks uh, coming on board as the Eagles get ready for rookie minicamp beginning on Friday. And joining me as he does every week is the man behind BleedingGreenNation.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Gowton. Brandon Lee Gowton, BLG, how you feeling? John, big Sixers win tonight. So I'm feeling pretty good. And of yeah, course, baby. Eagles-wise, we have rookie minicamp coming up. So we're already starting some of these off-season practice activities. Really, rookie minicamp is really the first official yeah. uh, practice. It's of hard the to say what the bigger news is, BLG. Hard, it's hard to know exactly yeah. what the bigger story is. So what? They're equally important. Yeah, true. <laughs> it's it's really the the first off-season practice ahead of the 2019 season. So that's cool. Yeah, and we're it's this is great. I mean, I know the summer is kind of a dead time that there's not a lot going on, but even even just stuff like this where you're going to get some guys on the field. And this is great stuff, you know, for these guys who um Dillard's probably not going to do a whole lot in his rookie season, but um you know, for guys like Miles Sanders and JJ Arcega Whiteside, I mean, these are these are guys that I think the Eagles expect them to give them something here in 2019. And so um, the Eagles announced actually on Thursday afternoon that all of the Eagles draft picks have signed. I'm, maybe I guess they did it all at once. Maybe maybe they all signed one contract, BLG. Do you think that like that all five of them <laughs> just agreed to like one contract and put all five of their names on one? Because it seems it's odd that they that the Eagles just would send out a tweet saying, Yep, they all signed. We're ready to go. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you that that didn't happen. So um not sure. <laughs> But it's funny with these rookie draft picks, like back before the current CBA that we have in the NFL that got ratified in 2011 after the lockout, like draft pick signing used to be somewhat of a big it deal. It really did. Like, it would take time. Yeah. Yeah. Usually you'd have guys, holdouts. a couple guys, like, yeah, holdouts. And, and that still happens in the rare, like occasionally today, uh, Joey Bosa and back in 2016, it's more like an extreme example of that. I remember, I think Rokon. Smith last year on the Bears took a while for him to get signed. But those are the exceptions really to the rule. I mean, usually this is pretty standard at this point. You know, they're all four-year deals. It's all pre-slotted money. Uh, the first round pick, in this case, Andre Dillard, has a fifth-year option on his contract. As we know, the Eagles just exercise with Carson Wentz. Mm -hmm. So um, pretty standard, but just kind of good to get that paperwork out of the way. Yeah, and these guys will get in and get some much-needed uh, coaching, you know, with this coaching staff. Get to know what Doug Peterson's all about. Get to know what Jim Schwartz is all about. Jeff Statlin, the rest of the uh, positional coaches, uh, Deuce Staley, all these guys getting in here and uh, and getting the much-needed education. They're going to need to learn this playbook because the Eagles are going to want uh, these guys to contribute something here in 2019. So we'll be looking forward to seeing some seeing some of these guys uh, on the field here. Um, also, the Eagles signed uh, 10 undrafted free agents, BLG. They released a list of names, and I think uh, probably the, the the most interesting name on the list is linebacker TJ Edwards. I wonder, um, we're going to get into the fact um, that the Eagles signed uh, line. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, Zach Brown right now, BLG, as it relates to kind of TJ Edwards here, because I think Edwards is the most interesting name among the undrafted free agents. But how does that work with the fact that the Eagles signed Zach Brown, who was one of the better linebackers in 
football last year. Really good against the run. I saw a big step forward against uh, in pass coverage last year. W- what are your thoughts on Zach Brown, TJ Edwards, and, and kind of where all that stands at the moment? Well, John, I'm sure you're thrilled that the Eagles have Zach Brown on the roster. I mean, this is the linebacker I am. you wanted, right? I am. I'm loving this. Yeah, so you got him. Yeah, um, they're meeting all my needs, BLG. It's great. Uh, again, Howie Roseman, clearly a listener of BGN Radio, so not a big surprise. But, yeah, I like the pickup. I mean, I think we talked about Zach Brown as a guy who made sense, you know, when Washington released him because it wouldn't impact the Eagles' comp pick formula. He's a guy who's experienced. He's a guy who's talented. Obviously, he's been a player who's been out there on the market kind of late into free agency these past couple seasons. Not maybe super late, but over a month or usually about at least a couple weeks into that. And, you know, I think there's something to be said for that. The fact that he's lacked stability in the NFL. So that kind of just shows you, you know, he's not this perfect player. But I think he can be a valuable contributor to this team. You know, the Eagles are mostly going to use two linebackers. That's really how they roll. And it'll probably be Nigel Bradham and Zach Brown this season. And now you still have options behind them. You know, you have LJ Fort you brought in. You have Kamu Gurjay Hill, who's probably going to play sometimes. Nathan Gary is still here. Paul Warlow. Uh, none of those guys are really, you know, getting you excited. But they're at least solid depth. And it feels like they have enough at linebacker now, especially bringing in Edwards too, another guy who can compete for special teams or just backup role, maybe even practice squad, depending on how it goes this off season, uh, just to have that depth at linebacker now. I would think, John, you feel pretty set at that position right now. I'm very happy now. Yeah, they don't need to do anything else. I'm very happy at linebacker. You're right. Because, I mean, this isn't a position that the Eagles really invest a lot in. They don't play three linebackers all that often. I think there's, I feel, a safe amount of depth at the linebacker position. And I think they've got a couple of guys in Zach Brown and Nigel Bradham who can who can make plays. I feel, I'm very happy with where they are now. So it's funny, John, because I think this is exactly why, I guess, why if Howie Roseman was here on this podcast, he'd be like, see, John, this is why I can wait to sign. I, I don't have to, you know, spend a first round pick or, <laughs> or go out in free agency and sign the Ravens linebacker that I can't think of. You, you can just get a guy later. And I guess that's kind of true. I think Howie kind of proved that here. No, he did. And I think that's that's a good point. And for people like me who were urging the Eagles to think about a linebacker early in the draft, you're right. It does seem as though a lot of teams seem to let this position go at this stage of the season. And there are some players uh, to be to be snagged. And I, I think the Eagles got a pretty good player here. You know, I think. Do, do you think he starts off the season as the starting middle linebacker? Is is he the Jordan Hicks replacement? Is he an improvement over Jordan Hicks, I guess, is the question. Yeah, I don't know exactly where he plays in this defense because um, I think he could play middle linebacker if he has to. But at the same time, you know, the Eagles could shift Nigel Bradham there. You know, we saw him do that in 2017. Obviously, he had a lot of success doing that. Defense worked out pretty well. And even last year, you know, when Jordan Hicks had gotten hurt, Bradham obviously has familiarity with that role. One thing I guess that's interesting about Zach Brown from what I read and from what I understand is he's never really made the calls in the middle of the defense like your your middle linebacker usually does. Oh. So I thought that was kind of interesting yeah. and maybe almost makes me wonder, again, if it's going to be Bradham because Bradham has experience doing that, as I just talked about. So, yeah, I don't know exactly where he fits. Yeah. Not really super concerned about that. Just, again, because you have options. Like you can put – LJ Ford somewhere you can put Zach Brown somewhere Uh, Nigel Bradham versatile so like you know it's not really a concern to me in terms of like um, where they're going to line up exactly because I think they there's enough options there to figure it out and maybe they can kind of test some things this summer they did last year I remember and they had freaking like Joe Walker running with the first team 
<laughs> defense at, at times, which is ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah. point being, like they were trying out different things, and I think they'll probably do the same thing this offseason. Well, I, I like the addition. I think it was a good move by Howie, and now they do seem to have a nice surplus of linebackers. And I, I would imagine, I guess it could be hard, uh, depending on how many secondary members Jim Schwartz wants to have in his in his uh, secondary, how many linebackers the team will keep. But whether, whether a guy like uh, TJ Edwards has a chance to make the roster, because you've got Nigel Bradham, you've got Kamu, you've, you've got Zach Brown now. Nate Gary's been with the team for a little while, and and now you've got uh, and and with T.J. Edwards, who I think a lot of people believe is a ha, has the ability to at least be a, a backup linebacker in this league and a special teams guy. That's five linebackers when when you barely ever use three at the same time. Is five too many? Is this a team that's going to carry five linebackers? It's going to probably be about five or six. Um, so like you you have the obvious guys in Brown, Bradham. Uh, Kamu is making this team. Yeah. After that, Fort I think is definitely making this team. They gave him what one. LJ point... Fort is one I forgot. Yep. Yeah, they gave him like mm-hmm. one point nine guaranteed. I think he's making this team. Yep. They said they had their eye on him for a while too. So I think that's a guy they like. And then after that, you're kind of competing. If you're Nate Gary, if you're T.J. Edwards, if you're Paul Warlow, there's a lot of different options there. Yeah, I feel like they wouldn't want to go particularly heavy at linebacker uh, if they could help it. You know, I think it kind of depends who steps up. Like if Edwards has a really good summer, maybe you just have to keep him. Maybe he's this guy who doesn't have a lot of upside anyway, but he can be solid. Maybe you can just stash him on the practice squad and have him there. I remember the Eagles drafted yeah. Gary in the fifth round a couple of years ago, and they stashed him on the practice squad. And eventually they called him up to the main roster, but like no one was coming hard after him. So I, I think they're good there. I think they'll figure it out. And really, when you're talking about that need being filled, you start to look at this roster as a whole, John, and you're like, Huh, looks pretty good. Yeah, where, what else do they need here? I mean, I think on the defensive side of the ball, the people who are crying for the Eagles to sign a cornerback, thank goodness the Eagles didn't listen to that because they clearly don't need one. And that was one of the other things I was thinking about. And maybe we'll talk more about roster construction as the as the summer goes along here. But as I'm, as I'm thinking about it, with all the different cornerbacks that they have on this team, and given the fact that some of these guys you know, are coming off some injury-plagued seasons, you, you wonder if they might not want to keep more cornerbacks on the team than they ordinarily would or or just how many they they want to keep around in case uh, Ronald Darby's uh, injury history comes up again in case Jalen Mills has a setback or something like that so it'll be very interesting to see what Jim Schwartz does with the defense here but as far as as far as looking at this roster now BLG I mean we're looking at another round of free agency uh, we've got uh, now that the compensatory draft pick uh, deadline has come and gone. We talked a little bit about that on episode number 50. It seems as though if there are any any weaknesses on this team, if there are any spots on the roster that could use a little bit more depth, that now's a good time for them to go out and try and find somebody who might become available. So are, are there any are there any free agents that, that the Eagles could be looking at right now that the draft compensation date has come and gone? Yeah, uh, so the big name is off the board. Obviously, everyone was talking about yep. Ezekiel Ansa as a potential Eagles target. And really, I mean, I can't blame the Eagles for not getting him. It's it's not even just totally up to them. Like For all we I know, they could have offered him the same amount of money that the Seahawks did, and I don't think they did, but I'm saying they could have. And I think Ansa easily would have picked the Seahawks because they can offer him playing time. And that's really important to a guy like Ezekiel Ansa, who, by the way, is like might miss a month of the season um, with a shoulder injury still. So that's a concern. But you know, for him to really need to kind of rehab his value this season and get a lot of playing time, that's what Seattle can offer. So not really realistic to expect him to ultimately end up in Philly. Would have been nice. Would have loved it because I think defensive end is still a position that the Eagles 
could afford to address. Because when you look at it deeper, they're they're set at the top, right? You have Brandon Graham, you have Derek Barnett, you have Vinnie Curry back here. That's a pretty good three, you know, a pretty good trio right there of defensive ends. I think the Eagles want to go deeper than that, ideally. You look back at their 2017 pass rush rotation, and you had at least like four guys, or you had four guys playing at least 45% of the snaps. Like you had Randy Graham, you had Vinnie Curry, you had Chris Long, and you had Derek Barnett. And you could rotate them often, and that would help keep them fresh. So I think the fact that they only have three right now, because I don't really see who that fourth guy is. Like, who is it? Is it Josh Wett? I mean, maybe, but I don't think that's a given. Like, I don't think that's a, a, a sure thing by any means. Uh, Deshaun Hall, like, is it him? Is it Joe Osman, who the team keeps hyping up yeah. every time they can? I don't, like, maybe. But I'm not saying those guys can't prove themselves this summer, but it's not a guarantee. And I don't think Sharif Miller is quite there yet either. I don't think any of those guys are just suddenly ready to play 40% of the snaps or so. Maybe the Eagles could get by with just three. But here's the thing. Like, what if there's an injury? All of a sudden now, you only have two. You know, like, Josh Wett is your third best pass rusher. Like, I don't love that. I don't think that's super great. And I think that's why they could still look to add a veteran defensive end. You look at Derek Morgan, who was actually taken three picks after Brandon Graham in the 2010 NFL draft. I feel like I didn't realize this until recently. He's actually a Lancaster native. So maybe he wants to come back home. He uh, attended high school. Oh, he's from here. He's capital yeah. F, capital H from here. Um, so <laughs> maybe there's some interest there. He's, he, I think he only had like half a sack last season. Not very great, but he had a sack total of nine and 7.5 in the two seasons respectively before that. So and he's a former first round pick. There's some pedigree here. I think potentially you could try to sign him on the cheap and hope he can kind of be a contributor to this rotation. I'm interested, John, because... I feel like everything we've heard makes it seem like Chris Long isn't going to be back. But then he was at the Sixers game tonight, ringing the bell with Lane Johnson. Ringing the, the bell, game. Then, I know. And then he was yeah. hanging out with his teammates, too. There was like a picture of him hanging out with Brandon Brooks and Kamu and Zach Ertz and Lane. So I was like, is he going to retire for sure? I mean, I'm expecting it to happen. Just again, you look at everything he said. He said that he wants a certain role. And he doesn't feel like that role will be there for him. And I don't really see how that's going to change unless there's an injury, God forbid. And, you know, hopefully there isn't an injury. So I, I just don't see it in that perspective. Maybe he changes his mind. I don't know. Getting back to some of the options, if Chris Long isn't back, I think Pernell McPhee is another guy to watch. Not someone you're going to get excited about. He did not have a sack last year. He, that's a problem. Yes. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but he also didn't play a ton for Washington. I think he, yeah. um, he had 203 defensive snaps. And he still, he still, um, he ranked 59th out of 173 edge rushers in pressure rate still. It's not amazing, but it's like solid for a rotational guy. It's solid yeah. for depth. There's some familiarity there because the Ravens selected him when Joe Douglas was there as a fifth round pick in 2011. And he actually signed okay. with the Bears in the same offseason that Joe Douglas uh, was in Chicago. Apparently, they might like him a little bit. So I'd keep an eye on that one. I'd also keep an eye on William Hayes, who is 34 and he's coming off an ACL injury. So that's not great. But he ranked 28th out of 119 edge rushers back in 2017. And um, he was actually selected by the Titans in the fourth round of the 2008 NFL draft. So that's back when Jim Schwartz was in Tennessee. Hayes also played for Eagles uh, defensive special assistant Mac Burt, or Matt Burke uh, the past two years when he was the Dolphins defensive coordinator. So just another one of those guys where there's like those connections they used to play for. So I'd kind of keep an eye on that defensive end position still. I think one of the other names, and you wrote about this for bleedinggreennation.com this week. One, one of the other names that I think is, is interesting 
um, and it's a guy who's been on the team the last few years. A few years is uh, is Wisniewski. I, I think Stefan Wisniewski is a guy who could provide that backup offensive guard in the uh, uh, as as we wait to see when Brandon Brooks is going to come back. What do you think about Wiz potentially potentially coming back? It doesn't seem as though there's a a big market out there for him right now. Yeah, I want to give credit to at Eagles Nut on Twitter who pointed this out tonight. You know, the, the Sixers, not the Sixers, the, sorry, the Eagles announced their jerseys, <laughs> the jersey numbers for all of their offseason additions, you know, uh-huh. the signings, the free agents, the rookies, undrafted rookies. Yeah. And 61 is still available. So I wonder if they're there you go. the door open there. I wonder, I, I just feel like Wiz doesn't want to be back because this is a guy who literally said that he felt like he shouldn't have been benched last year. So why would he want to come back here? Like he knows he's not going to be the starter. Now he could look at his situation and be like, okay. Well, no one else is offering me a starting job, and at least I don't have to move or anything. Uh, maybe I can still get a decent offer from Philly. I think that's what it would have to take, and maybe that is what it takes, and maybe you get Wiz back, and that would be nice. That's another position they have to address. They they have to get some more interior offensive line help because we don't know fully when Brandon Brooks is going to be back yet still. If that's the case, and let's say Brooks misses some kind of time early in the season, like who are you starting at right guard? Maybe Matt Pryor? That would be nice if he could step up and earn that job, or maybe one of the undrafted free agents that you sign steps up. I mean, that seems less likely, but it's on the table. But then let's say there's an injury. Like, let's say Kelsey, God forbid, gets hurt. Who's your backup center? Okay, is it Isaac Samalo? Okay, fine, slide him over a position. But then who's playing at left guard? Like, yeah. So I don't yeah. – like, they they have to get someone, I feel like, there just to give them more insurance, especially if Brooks is going to take a little bit longer to recover – than expected. I mean, even if he's healthy, you could still afford just to add a guy on the interior there. And I think Wisniewski makes sense. I also think Jeff Allen makes sense. The Eagles were rumored to be interested in him back in 2016 when they needed a guard badly in free agency. And the Eagles signed Brandon Brooks instead. And that turned out to be a really good signing, obviously. While Allen, meanwhile, struggled in Houston. He had some injury issues. Um, just didn't play well there overall. And he was good in Kansas City before that. So maybe getting back into a Doug Peterson-like system, uh, where Doug Peterson obviously has experience with Jeff Allen, having been in Kansas City with him for a couple of seasons there, would make some sense. You know, he would give, he can actually play, he has experience at all five offensive line positions. So that's great. Um, Very versatile. He's also known for being a good locker room guy. So if not Wisniewski, Jeff Allen is still out there. And I think if you can get a guy like that, like one of those kind of just, you know, not amazing, but like middling offensive line talents, and you kind of let him compete with Matt Pryor and the undrafted guys, I think that might be able to, to be enough. Depending, yeah. you know, on when Brooks comes back, that might be able to just be enough to hold you over until Brooks is back on the field. So if I was the Eagles, I would do that. I would still try to look to address that interior offensive line position. Well, most of the heavy lifting is done in free agency, but uh, there are a couple of areas where the Eagles could still make some improvements. And now free from the shackles of uh, draft pick compensation, they can pretty much do whatever they want here. So we'll see if they make any moves over the next uh, couple of days and weeks. Uh, We'll take a quick break up next. We're going to talk about some comments Howie Roseman made about the any potential Carson Wentz contract. We'll talk about that up next right here on BGN Radio. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
And we're back on BGN Radio. So BLG, Howie Roseman was on 94 WIP's morning show this week talking about a range of different issues. And, of course, one of the first things that Angelo Cataldi uh, asked him about was the possibility of making Carson Wentz a long-term contract offer. Uh, Roseman said, yeah, for us, this is something that we're planning to do. And if the deal is right for us and the deal is right for Carson, we wouldn't hesitate to pull the trigger on that. That's just the, the amount of confidence that we have. And we want to build this team knowing kind of what piece is in place and go forward. So nothing really earth shattering there from Howie Roseman on a potential Carson Wentz contract. We've talked about it quite a bit. I know that you feel there is a decent chance that Wentz might sign this thing uh, before the start of the regular season. But I want to kind of bring this up in in the vein of uh, also what the Cowboys are doing with Dak Prescott right now. And they've made their first initial offer reportedly to Dak Prescott, and they're they're waiting to hear back about a counter offer apparently. It doesn't sound like the Cowboys are ready to give Dak a contract that he will automatically jump at, you know? And I I wonder whether it's better for Carson Wentz to wait for Dak Prescott to sign a deal or whether he should try to jump in front of Dak Prescott. You know, whether or not Prescott's going to set some kind of a bar uh, for Carson, because I mean, I think we we both we we both know Carson Wentz is a far superior quarterback, but it's just the way the way NFL front offices do things. I don't know. What what do you make of Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz, and and the contract situation for both? Well, I think the Eagles would love to get the contract in before uh, Dak Prescott's contract comes out. Uh, on the flip side, I think Carson would like to wait until that happens. I think the Cowboys thing is interesting. On a, a separate note, there just because. You know, Dak Prescott, how many articles and how many tweets were written for years about like, oh, how he's one of the best bargains in the NFL. And really, it was true. You know, because he was making like, I don't know, $400,000, yeah. which is really good for a starting quarterback. He's a fourth round pick, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, it's a fourth round pick. Fourth or fifth round? Fourth round. Fourth round pick, right. Yeah. So, I mean, you can, if you can get a starting quarterback like that, yeah, it's awesome. It's really cheap. I mean, you know, we've talked about Carson Wentz being on a rookie deal and how valuable that is. And that's true. But like Carson Wentz is still making like millions of dollars per year. He's not making like four hundred thousand or whatever Dak was making here. So I, I think Dak, you know, needs to to press harder. I think it's kind of silly. Of the, I mean, obviously the Cowboys want to keep him on the cheap because they know he's a limited player. They know he's a limited quarterback, and they know they don't want to break the bank on a non-elite quarterback. I think that's confirmation of that when they're saying like they need Dak to take less money. If I'm Dak, why am I holding out on that? For as much as I think Mike Florio can go overboard with conspiracy theories and kind of wild ideas out there sometimes, I must like what he suggested recently. He said, Amari Cooper is also kind of waiting for this big deal, and it seems like the Cowboys aren't really meeting his expectations. Like, what if Dak and Amari Cooper kind of just played it out this year? Like, they made a pact almost together to do that, because if they did that, then the Cowboys could only franchise tag one of them, and that would put the Cowboys in very bad position next offseason. So I don't think that'll happen. I love the thought, though. I like to think that a lot, because, you know, look, they're going to have to pay big time. And, you know, going back to what we've even talked about, um, with the Amari Cooper trade, like that's a big reason why it's not as simple as, okay, you're trading this pick and you're getting a guy who's young still, just like a draft pick would be. No, because now you have to pay him so much more money than you would have to pay if you got, yeah. say, DK Metcalf, who fell. And the Cowboys could have potentially gotten him if they wanted him. Obviously, I'm not saying that he's as good as Amari Cooper is, far less proven. 
but still, you know, it, it, there's risk there in doing that. And I think the Cowboys situation overall uh, with when it comes to paying Cooper, when it comes to paying Dak, like they have some big decisions to make, you know, as it, again, as it Im- impacts Carson, it's pretty much what I've been saying all off season here, John. It's like, I think the Eagles have every reason and I think they do want to get him signed. And I even read today in Albert Breer's piece on MMQB that um, I believe he said, he he said, quote, I still believe there's a good chance Wentz gets a deal between now and week one, end quote. And that's still how I, I kind of feel too. Yeah. I, I just, that's, I really get that vibe because I think the Eagles are motivated enough. And even if Carson isn't, I still think there comes a point where the Eagles are like, okay, even if this isn't the perfect price we want, we, we need to get this done because we know if we wait, it's just not going to be good. Like there's, it's not going to be good. If we have to wait, we're going to pay so much more. And we know we're going to pay him anyway. They're going to have to find a price that makes sense for them ultimately on both sides. And I think they will. And I think it'll get done. And I think people will complain about it. And I think some people will be happy about it. And uh, that's just how it's going to be. Well, and I think what the Cowboys are about to go through is instructive for the Eagles. Uh, They, they, I agree. I think the Eagles want to get this done. I think Carson would like to wait because um, I if, I don't know if you saw uh, this piece in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram with the Cowboys. Clarence Hill wrote this talking about Amari Cooper's demands reportedly being, quote, shockingly high, while Dak Prescott is seeking close to $30 million a year. And they're also talking about, you know, whether or not to extend Zeke Elliott. Zeke Elliott's probably the most important offensive player on that team. Mm. I mean, he's the best offensive player on that team. The whole offense goes through Ezekiel Elliott and maybe they just ride him with a franchise tag until he falls apart, giving him 400 touches a season. But you know what I mean? Like it's just, it's what the cow, the Cowboys have some, and, and, and Steven Jones, who's uh J- Jerry Jones son, who's, who's getting more involved in the team. He's basically, he's hoping they all take less money than they deserve. He says, because of the money, if we can talk them into not maxing out, doing well but not maxed, then that allows us to have other good football players around them. Well, they don't care. I mean, football players want to get their money, especially if you're a guy like Dak who was drafted in the fourth round. Like you said, just playing on pennies on the dollar for what uh, Zeke and what Carson Wentz is, is making right now. And so I don't think Dak should get as much as Carson, but... I mean, with Carson, are we talking $35 million a year? Is that kind of the number in your head, or would, would that seem outrageous? I mean, it seems outrageous in a in a vacuum just because it's just so much money. <laughs> it's just a lot of money. Um, and really, when you look back at how it's climbed over the years here, every new deal seems like so much at the time. I remember you know, Derek Carr signing that big extension a couple of years ago. And it just seemed like ridiculous. And all of a sudden, you know, you look a couple of years later and you hear you have Russell Wilson signing a huge deal. And it didn't happen. But prior to Russell Wilson signing, there was talk that he could get percentages of the salary cap instead of actual fixed dollar amounts, which would be unprecedented. And we already saw something not precedented when Kirk Cousins got a fully guaranteed contract last year in free agency. So it, the price just keeps going up. Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. It's it's fabulous. Yeah. Um, the price again, it, it's <laughs> it's not going down. I'm telling you, like the cap, but it's okay too because the cap is also going up. So you know there there is some kind of relativity here. We've seen NFL cap increase year after year now, and that kind of that kind of makes you a little less worried in that sense. Also, because deals right now, John have like 24 million ish, almost 25, I think, in in um mm. in cap space. Per over the cap, I don't think that includes the Zach Brown number, so it might be really more like just about 23 or 22. But, you know, they can roll that over if that goes unused this year, and they will, I'm sure, 
ultimately, Howie Roseman has done a good job of taking care of the cap. That's not breaking news. We already know that. Although, you know, again, I will say he's never had to manage a salary cap with this big time quarterback contract on it. I will be interested to see how he does that going forward. Um, and he even said when he was on WIP this week that he has to be smart. You know, he has to, he kind of hinted at, um, you heard Jeffrey Lurie talk about this offseason, the importance of drafting and volume. And then he really didn't do that because they only had five picks yeah. made in the draft. And how he kind of, I, I think, even admitted that he was saying, on the radio this week that like he gets tempted because he gets in these opportunities where, okay, I can acquire Deshaun Jackson from a, a six round pick and that's great. And I think it's worth it. But when you look at like the bigger picture, eventually at some point you're going to need to keep that six round pick because you're going to need a player who's good on a rookie contract. And you're going to need to throw as many darts at the dartboard as you can with those draft picks and hope you can hit on guys on those cheap salaries. So yeah, it's kind of like a, a balancing act that how and, and how he's kind of playing with fire a little bit in some ways when he's being uh, aggressive. But I mean, that's fine, right? Ultimately, like, that's why they're going after. That's why they want to hoard all these all these draft all these like compensatory picks, though, right? I mean, that's that's the idea here is in 2020 to just load up on picks. It is, and also I think the strategy of being aggressive is one that this organization believes in. Clearly, I mean, look at the head coach <laughs> and like right. Doug Peterson does not coach scared, and they won a Super Bowl because they didn't coach scared. So I. I think that's the same kind of philosophy with the front office like you're you have Howie Roseman here he's not going to be passive he's not going to like try to just hoard all his cap space he's going to use it he's going to be aggressive he's going to restructure and I think that's what they've done and I think they're they're going to continue that MO they're going to be aggressive here and if it burns them down the line that that'll suck so be it but in the meantime they feel like they have a window to win and I think they have a window to win and I you know they they should do their best to capitalize on it. Well, up next, we're going to talk about the Eagles offense because uh, some uh, recent uh, piece on NFL.com has uh, the Eagles offense up pretty darn high amongst uh, the best in the NFL. And uh, we'll uh, get BLG's thoughts and my thoughts on where we think the Eagles offense ranks among NFL teams. That's up next here on BGN Radio. And we're back on BGN Radio. Uh, So BLG, I thought this was interesting. Saw this on NFL.com. Um, and we had it on our links page at, uh, at bleedinggreennation.com. And by the way, make sure you're going to bleedinggreennation.com yes. every day, multiple times a day. The the second there is a little bit of Eagles news, we have it for you on the website, and uh, uh, BLG keeps you up to date on everything going on, and the rest of the writers, including myself and uh, all, all the other great writers we have at bleedinggreennation.com, keeping you up to date on everything that's going on. NFL.com listed the Eagles as having the third best offense in football, this coming season, uh, projecting ahead, looking at uh, the depth charts of uh, different uh, of the different teams around the league, they had the Saints and the Colts as the only teams ranked higher than the Philadelphia Eagles. So, BLG, I, I thought it might be fun for us to rank our top five offenses in football right now and see if the Philadelphia Eagles are there. So, uh, why don't you start? Why don't you give me your top five? Yeah, so I think I said the start here still with the Chiefs. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was just so dominant last year. And he's probably due for some regression, but I mean, he's, he's so talented. And and Andy is obviously yeah. still like a really good coach, at least in the regular season. Uh, and, you know, losing Tyree Kill or whatever is going on with that situation, I don't know. And even Hunt, but still, like, they just, they still have a lot of talent. So I think they're up there. Uh, I really believe in Mahomes. I think he's just really good, maybe even only going to get better. Probably not going to be, again, as productive statistically as he was yeah. last year, just because it, it just, it feels like almost 2017 Wentz in that regard where, okay, 
Like yeah. this player is really well, good. Fifty touchdowns, <laughs> twelve interceptions. I, that's not sustainable. <laughs> but I think I think I guess I, I'm putting them uh, still up there at number one, just because you know I believe in him a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to trade here? Or do you want to, me to keep going? Why don't you just do all five? That probably makes more sense, and then I'll give you my five. Yeah, so I have the Saints up there still too, just because um, Sean Payton, you know, is obviously pretty creative when it comes to designing that offense, and Drew Brees still playing at a very high level. Uh, Kamara is so dangerous. Michael Thomas is probably the best wide receiver in the league, at least very much in the conversation. And I, I think they're still really going to be really good and really challenging. So they're up there. Um, I guess number three, I agree with NFL.com. I'm putting the Eagles up there high. They just, des- right. they deserve it. I mean, you look at what they've done this off season, added so much more talent in terms of you brought in Jordan, ha- like just the running back position alone, you know, just think about that for a second and how bad it was last year. And you're trotting out Jay Ajayi, who had like a, a broken bone in his back, and he was playing through a torn ACL. And then Corey Clement was clearly banged up, and he wasn't his 2017 self. You had Josh Adams as your leading rusher for the entire season, which is insane. And honestly, a lot of people probably <laughs> don't even know that uh, in terms of like if you're asking someone a trivia question, like how many people are getting that right out of a you know a field of 100, like 30. Right, uh, 30, no, true. 30% of people getting that right. So that's just crazy. The fact that you were trotting out that last season, and now you have Jordan Howard, who his, defici- or his efficiency has clearly declined as his career has gone on, which is not great. And I think he's limited in some ways, but I still think he can be a valuable player to this team. He's especially effective in the red zone, so that'll be nice. Um, you have Miles Sanders, who you brought in here. He is obviously uh, a guy with dynamic talent and upside. Interested to see how much he can contribute in year one, but feeling good about that. And then you have Corey Clement back now. We don't know exactly you know, how healthy he is. He said he didn't have an ACL tear, but he clearly had something going on with him last year. I would like to see him prove that he can be the player that we thought he was going to be last year and the player he showed he could be as a rookie. That'd be nice. So running back is looking good. Uh, you have wide receiver with Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson, which is huge alone, just getting him. And now Snaggler still in the slot. I mean, that's one of the better receiving groups it's in the league, right? At least it feels up there. It's the highest paid receiving group in the league. So they're spending a lot of money at that position. I think Deshaun's ability just to bring a dynamic deep threat to this offense is going to be huge. And something like that maybe even gets underappreciated as we're thinking about the outlook for this team. Because again, think about how much this team last year just struggled to move the ball in terms of big plays. Like we're watching the yeah. offense as like a chore. We talk about that all the time. I think it gets mentioned once per per podcast. Yep. So to have him back <laughs> is huge. The offensive line is in pretty good shape still. I think for the most part. I mean, I think JP. Uh, he's you know you consider now he's coming off this uh, Achilles injury. He's two years removed from it. That's good. He's thirty seven. So he's still pretty old. You know, he's probably going to have to come out early in games just as he did last year and he has for seasons now. But uh, depending on what you do with Big V, he's still around. You brought in Andre Dillard. Marlotta is still around. You have Lane Johnson starting on the other side. The tackles are looking good. The guards we talked about, they could afford to address the depth. But if you can get Brandon Brooks back and if Samalo can kind of build on what he showed at times last year, he's not going to be amazing, but I think he can at least be solid for you and then Kelsey is still an amazing player in the center so feeling good about the offensive line as a whole quarterback position is obviously the biggest one right that is going to be the make or break thing Carson Wentz is the x factor for this team Mm -hmm. and I think there's 
every reason to believe that he can be maybe not quite as good again in 2017 just because of the, the statistical production was so high that regression is always going to come back to bite any player who probably plays that well. But I think he can be in that same kind of tier still, that same kind of MVP discussion quarterback. Like, why not? Why Why can't he be? Absolutely. Um, you know, the health is obviously a question, but like, what can, what am I supposed to do? Just assume he's going to get hurt? Like, I'm not going to assume that. I'm going to assume he's going to stay healthy until I see him get hurt. You know, <laughs> I'm going to think positive about it. I'm going to be optimistic about it. And I think he knows, you know, he knows how much is riding on this season, especially if he doesn't enter the year with a contract. Like, he knows he needs to stay healthy or, you know, his his payday is not looking so great all of a sudden. So you have all that. I didn't even mention the tight ends who could arguably be one of the best parts of the offense. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. Look, you know, you have Zach Ertz mm-hmm. here. You have Dallas Goddard coming back and We've talked about it a lot before, I think, last year, just about how rookie tight ends take time to adjust to the NFL. They don't just come in and dominate right away. It's just not a position where that happens. But now you've got her coming in here. You've had a full off season to know he's going to be on your team. And accordingly, hopefully, as Doug Peterson has said, and again, I hope this is not just lip service. I hope he means it when he is saying that, you know, they have been designing more 12 personnel into this offense and how they can get Dallas Goddard more involved because they need to do that. And I would love to see that, you know, be incorporated more into the offense because when you look back at the 2018 numbers, as Benjamin Solak has pointed out, 12 personnel was their best package over. It was just their most efficient package. It worked what worked best for them. So, you know, they're not going to run it the majority of the time. This is not how it works. Uh, you don't see offenses doing it that much. But yeah, so that was a long-winded answer there. But I, I feel good about the Eagles being up there, John. <laughs> I, I think they are going to be a, a pretty good offense this year. Why wouldn't they be? The coaching is there with Doug. The talent is there. Uh, you know, injuries can derail any team. So it's really not like fun to say, oh, well, what if they get hurt? I mean, yeah, that could happen to anyone. Uh, so I think they're going to be right up right, there. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I don't have them at three. I have them at four. Uh, I have uh, the Saints as my as my number one offense. Uh, I, I think they are, we are going to see a little regression from Patrick Mahomes this year with the Chiefs, but I, I still have him, I think, as my as the number one quarterback in football uh, for 2019 because the, the talent is unbelievable, and he has shown a playmaking ability which is just off the charts. He showed it in the uh, the AFC Championship game when, when he, he led that team to, to a tying touch, a game-tying touchdown. Um, um, or was it the go-ahead touchdown on the Patriots tied? I don't remember exactly. I forget how that game went now. But he led the team. Oh, he led the team with a, a game-tying field goal, I believe, wasn't it? Uh, that that uh, forced overtime, and then the Patriots went and scored a touchdown and went to the Super Bowl. Yeah. But Patrick Mahomes, you can put the Saints and Chiefs at 1A and 1B as far as I'm concerned. They're, they're both head and shoulders, the, the best offenses in football. I love the Indianapolis Colts. I think Andrew Luck even another year removed from the, uh, the, the issues that he was having, uh, another year with Frank Reich uh, directing that offense. And I think the Colts have the best offensive line in football. Uh, they have a really good running game. They mix it in with a really good passing game. I, I think the Colts offense is going to be something to see this year. So I have them at number three. I have the Eagles at four. And then I have the, I have the Falcons at, at number five now that uh, Steve Sarkeesian isn't around. Uh, Matt Ryan had a ridiculous season last year. And if they can, if they can get an offensive coordinator, that can actually, you know, figure out a way to get Julio Jones in the end zone, which really shouldn't be that big of a challenge given how good he is. I think the Falcons could have a, a top five offense next year. But like you said, where the Eagles offense ends up this year is going to depend on Carson Wentz. And I agree. You can't, I, I, but I do think you can, and I guess this would factor Andrew Luck in as well. 
you, you can factor in, I think, a little bit how injury prone has this quarterback been and ha- how you can say, I think, fairly. And you know me, I'm, I'm the biggest Carson Wentz fan there is. You, I think it's fair to, to, to argue that given the number of games Carson Wentz has missed over the last couple of seasons, that there is more of a worry that he could get hurt than with, say, Patrick Mahomes or Drew Brees or Matt Ryan or whoever else you might consider to be one of the top quarterbacks or offenses in football. And so I guess that factors into, you know, where you think the Eagles offense might go and where you have Carson Wentz uh, ranked among top quarterbacks. I I have a piece coming out for BleedingGreenNation.com. I think probably be out tomorrow blg friday about who where i have carson wentz ranked among the top 10 quarterbacks in the league and pff had carson wentz's at number 13 last year and i guess based on their numbers you know i i just they had him below andy dalton which just (laughs) boggles my mind i I think i I know they had andy dalton at 12 and carson wentz at 13 and then uh they had uh, um kirk cousins at 14 Mm. so i mean that was the impetus for my piece, kind of looking at that and saying, that just does not seem right to me. I have Wentz at number nine. I think he's a top 10 quarterback, but obviously the potential is there for him to be a top five, top three, top one quarterback because he was the MVP of the league in 2017 before he got hurt. So if that's the Carson Wentz we get back, the, the Eagles could have the best offense in football because you're right, they do have a field stretcher in Deshaun Jackson now. They do have the ability to play in 12 personnel and to to run and pass out of 12 personnel because we know how good a run blocker Dallas Goddard is. And we actually have a running game, I think, now with Jordan Howard back there. And we'll see what Miles Sanders can give this team as the number two or the number three running back. But, you know, with this offensive line, you just you keep your fingers crossed that Jason Kelsey stays healthy. You keep your fingers crossed that Lane Johnson doesn't get busted for another performance-enhancing drug test. You know, you you cross your fingers that Brandon Brooks comes back. And and losing Brandon Brooks is, I, I think, who was it that said it this offseason that losing Brandon Brooks was the reason they lost? Kelsey. Uh, the... Yeah. Okay, good. It was Kelsey who said that. I mean, they need him back. Brandon Brooks is an underrated part of that offensive line and getting him back would go a long way. But, you know, I I think the Eagles have all of the pieces in place. And as you said, as as important as anything, they have an, an architect in Doug Peterson who... I have just an unbelievable amount of confidence in. I, I just believe in his ability to make an offense go, BLG. So I agree with you. I think this is a top five offense. I have them just a shade lower than you. But, um, you know, if Carson Wentz returns to 2017 form, uh, this is this is an offense that could be one of the two or three best in the league. I did want to ask you a little bit about the Rams because for much of last season, the L.A. Rams were one of the one of the top offenses in football. And then... Late in the season, it all just kind of came to a, a screeching halt. And I I know your feelings on Sean McVay, uh, but I guess, you know, they got all the way to the Super Bowl and then crapped the bed in the Super Bowl. Three points from Jared Goff, Sean McVay, the genius, and, and all the offensive talent that they had there. As we're talking about great offenses, I was I wanted your thoughts on what you thought the Rams were going to be in 2019. When I just look at it, in terms of quarterback, head coach, like, I'm not... I mean, I think McVay is good. Like, he's good. He's not elite. He's not great to me. I think he's good. And he's a good coach. I think he's been sold as much more than that, which is why I have a problem with how he's perceived and how he's hyped up. Uh, and I don't need to get into my whole thing about how I feel like a lot of that is because of the city that the team plays in in the NFL 
wants that team to have a lot of cachet and trying to build up a reputation there. Anyway, yeah, so I'm, I'm just not the biggest McVay guy as a whole. I'm definitely not the biggest Jared Goff guy. He was a big reason why that team was not so great down the stretch as well. Like, he just looks so lost sometimes. For as much as Carson can struggle, I don't think Carson ever looks like a deer in headlights like Jared Goff does. Like, he can just get to the point where you're like, we can't win. Like, he's just in a, like, like you saw it in the Super Bowl. Like, there was, he wasn't getting over that. He just looked so like shut down and ineffective it's like when ben simmons is like not going hard to the rim and he's not aggressive and he kind of just like disappears from the game hard for a quarterback to do that considering he touches the ball on every play but i just think that's like the pitfall of golf that's why i'm not the this huge believer of the rams i mean they could still be solid like Gurley could come back although i don't that's the other thing i don't know what's going on with him like really weird end to the season last year where was he hurt? Was he not? It seemed unclear. But if he's on, you know, that offense still has the potential to be pretty good. There's some weapons there, offensive line. They could easily be like, a 10-win team, one of the better offenses in the league. But when I just look at it as a whole, like, I'm, I'm not loving that bet. I, I don't, I'm not betting my money on all of that. Um, I think the NFC West could be getting tougher. You look at Seattle, I think they could be gearing back up um, and, and reloading there. Uh, the 49ers are theoretically improving. Jimmy G's coming off ATL, so who knows. Um, and then you have the Cardinals, who are rebuilding. They have Kyler Murray now. We'll see how that goes with him. Um, I just I don't think the Rams are going to have an easier, or as easy of a time as they've had in the NFC West these past couple of seasons. No, I agree. I agree. And the 49ers should be better. I think that there's going to be a little bit more competition in that division for them this year. But uh, And there's also, you know, we... The Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2017, and there was a little bit of a hangover. There is a traditional hangover for the Super Bowl loser the following year, and I think that's a thing that's going to happen to the Rams this year. I am calling right now no playoffs for the Rams next year. Oh, love it. Yeah, it happens a lot. The teams that lose the Super Bowl don't make the postseason the next year, and and a lot of times have dreadful seasons. So I don't know if that's going to happen with the Rams, but I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's where I am on the LA Rams right now. I think 2019 is not going to be a fun season for Jared Goff and, uh, and, and Sean McVay. I think Goff's going to have a terrible season, but we'll see. I'll take it. We'll see. I know a healthy Todd Gurley certainly goes a long way. And that offense really changed when Cooper cup got hurt yeah. uh, last year. And so um, getting him back will, will certainly help the Rams out. So as we finish up BLG, the Eagles made a major announcement on Thursday. I mean, if this was this was a hyped announcement, it was huge. There was a ceremony at Lincoln Financial Field. I, I'm not sure why we didn't lead with this BLG, but uh, for anybody who may be living under a rock and, and is not aware of the major announcement that was made by the Philadelphia Eagles on Thursday, could you please enlighten the listeners? Yes, yeah, so I'll just set the scene here. So on Tuesday, May 7th, got an email from the Eagles PR department that they sent out to all the media members that said the Eagles are making a quote-unquote major community announcement on Thursday. Oh, the uh, May, May 9th at 1 p.m. at Lincoln Financial Field. They gave out the press conference details. Like, all right. So when I read that, I'm figuring it's really not going to be a huge deal. I figured it'd be some kind of stadium upgrade or some kind of charitable thing, like something, you know, that's okay. That's cool. Like that's good. Probably not. Yeah. More wind turbines or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I didn't think it was going to be like, you know, they're 
they're changing the Kelly Green. Like, why would they have a press conference at the link to do that? Like, that's and no, that's not. Right. That's, and or some people are like saying it was like a Carson Wentz extension. Like, no, they're not going to have a press conference at the link to do. Like, this is not how this works. So, uh, I didn't think it was any going to be anything super amazing, but I thought it might be like a little something. And honestly, it wasn't even that. <laughs> the Eagles have this press conference. It's it's great too because it's like raining. They're having this totally unnecessary <laughs> press conference yeah. in the rain just to announce that the name of the stadium, Lincoln Financial Field, isn't changing. So their their major community <laughs> announcement is that something isn't changing. Like what? Like really? Like I get that you know Lincoln Financial probably wanted the Eagles to have this press conference. Maybe that was part of the whole deal and everything. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. I get why, but it's just like, why are you going to put that out there to your fans that hear a major community announcement and then they tune in, and the news is that nothing is changing. Like that's not even that's not even how news works. Like news is when something is changing, not not when something isn't changing. I gotta say, as someone in my in my main line of work who uh, who watches cable news every day, it's a, you'd be amazed how long a cable news channel can call something breaking news. Mm. I mean, you they, they go seven seven hours after a story is broken, it's still being referred to as breaking news. So I mean, that's just the way the media works nowadays. It's crazy. Yeah. So it's just it's silly. My reaction to that is okay, great, cool. The link can say the link. Awesome. I think it'll be 30 years, I guess, because it opened in 2002. So when it gets to 2032, yeah. it will have been 30 years that it's the same name. So I guess, great, whatever. Honestly, though, if we're being very honest here, to me, the Eagles announcing their jersey numbers is like way more excited. I'm so much more excited about that than I am <laughs> hearing about the team uh, renaming or not even renaming, keeping the same name. Uh, for the until the next what thirteen years here, so congrats to the yeah, Eagles yeah, for yeah. this huge announcement on uh, just keeping the name of the stadium the same. Really fascinating stuff. It was a riveting news conference. If you saw the video highlights, you'll never forget where you were when you saw them <laughs> the first time. It's really something else. Hey, uh, by the way, um, speaking about the jersey numbers, uh, did you do you have a uh, a position? Uh, ben Solak and I got into a uh, a, a little online feud about. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether or not wide receivers should be allowed to wear uniform numbers with starting with a one. I'm an '80s guy. I think I think wide receivers should only be allowed to wear numbers in the '80s. Yeah, I, I will grant the I will grant the lone exception once in a while for a very very tall wide receiver to wear a number with the ones. But for me, wide receivers wear '80s numbers. Do you have a thought? Yeah. So Ben and I are actually going to do an entire podcast on all of the Eagles jersey numbers oh, in the roster, which is really okay. stupid and really and really just shows you how it's great. How, um, all right. dumb the NFL offseason is, and, and kind of dumb the things we care about. But we're gonna do it, <laughs> damn it, because we want to. Do something Good. that we're really passionate about, and we really love jersey numbers. So I don't know where we're gonna do that, but Ben and I are gonna figure out a time. I mean, don't even listen to that. Like you're listening. Like I, I don't even encourage you to listen. I mean, download it because you want to support <laughs> BGN Radio, yes, but you don't even need to listen to it because it's stupid. But if you do like jersey numbers, then I think you'll enjoy it. So we're gonna figure that out at some time. But to answer your question, John, I actually feel opposite. I feel that bigger guys like bigger wide receivers should be wearing numbers in the 80s and and i think of like to 81 i think of des bryant i don't know why unfortunately but i think 88 made sense on him that to me that feels right 80s on bigger receivers like how can to me like how can the smallest receiver on your team let's say be wearing 88 like that doesn't feel right like what is that that's that's not right like deshaun jackson wearing 10 is perfect that makes so much sense 
Sean Jackson wearing 88 is no, like what's that? That's not, that does not look right. That does not look good to me. So to me, I feel like smaller guys, typically not always. I think here, here's how I feel about that. I feel like bigger guys can get away with wearing some of those numbers sometimes like, like in all Sean number 17 or Julio Jones 11. But I think if you're a smaller guy, you can't get away with those bigger numbers. And someone said Steve Smith. Okay. Yes. But for one, Steve Smith, in, in very many ways was the exception to the rule and a lot of respects. Also, like he played way bigger than he was. So he he could wear 89 and it worked for him. Um, but not every receiver who is as shorter as he is can do that. So to me, uh, I want the bigger guys wearing the bigger numbers. Although here's a whole, here's something that throws a wrench into this whole equation here is that the Eagles eight, like the font on their eight, on their jerseys is horrible. It is a bad eight. That, like, not, that may sound weird, but it's so true. Like when Trey Burton switched to eighty, now I gotta look this up because I got I'm not remembering. Look, look I, at I Trey Burton's eighty-eight. Now. Like it just doesn't look. It doesn't look great. Like it just doesn't look right. And I know this especially. Like this especially bothers me when it's training camp and I'm trying to like figure out who you know which guy is which. And the eight, like it could be like a nine. It could be yeah, that's not great. It could be a zero. Like it, it just it doesn't look good. Yeah, six. Go look at it. Like if you're if you're listening to this when you're done, like go look at Trey Burton's eighty-eight jersey. It just doesn't look good. Like it's not the right number for a player. I like the number eighty-eight, by the way, too. So this this really hurts me because uh you know growing up as a little kid, always loved Eric Lindros and the Flyers. So to to have the eighty-eight just not yeah. look awesome. Like it hurts. It hurts. It just doesn't look great. I'm telling you. The back, I guess, maybe looks a little bit better than the front. I think the front maybe is where I have the issue with it. It doesn't look awesome. That kind of throws a whole wrench into this whole number thing. Still loved eighty-one though. Loved when To was eighty-one. To me, that's why the big receivers should be wearing those bigger numbers. So yeah, when I think of this, when I think of the single-digit numbers, I I think of like Harold Carmichael uh, was the first wide receiver I knew who who wore the single-digit numbers because back in like the '80s and '90s, no, wide receivers all wore I all wore in the '80s, and I remember little guys like uh, I mean Chris Carter wasn't a little guy, but he's not a big receiver either. You know, I still remember he was the number eighty. I don't know, '80s the '80s always seemed like the classic wide Jerry receiver. Jerry Rice. Number, so. Jerry Rice, John Taylor, Steve Largent. I mean, all those guys uh, just were, were 80s. You know, that's just how it was done. People didn't. It's a new thing that the millennials, I blame the millennials, BLG, with these numbers, wide receivers singled in the with number one starting numbers. I'm not having it. No teens. They're for quarterbacks. The teens are for the quarterbacks, for crying out loud. All right. Anyway, BLG, uh, was that any final thoughts or have we pretty much gilded the lily here? Yeah, I don't think anyone's listening anymore after me talk about how the, the eights <laughs> on the Eagles jersey numbers don't look great. Um, but if you are, we appreciate you Fair. listening. Uh, as always, make sure you please read bleedingyournation.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast you're listening to right now. Rate, review, all that good stuff. We appreciate you listening. Obviously, stay tuned. You know, we're going to have some coverage here with not only minicamp stuff, um, but also OTAs starting as soon as I believe the 21st here. I got, they sent the Eagles sent out their media schedule for those days of which I can actually attend the practice and other reporters. So that'll be cool. That, that'll be coming up later this month. So we'll have those practice updates for you here on BGN Radio and BleedingGreenNation.com. So stay tuned. All right. Well, folks, that'll do it for episode number 51 of BGN Radio. Uh, for Brandon Lee Gowton, I'm John Stolnes. Again, you can follow Brandon on Twitter at Brandon Gowton. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolnes. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you all next time right here on BGN Radio. Been a little too nice to y'all. Now I got a price on y'all. Snake eyes on dice for y'all. Shoulders on ice for y'all. <laughs>
frozen. H6 all the hate. I won't get involved today. Got lost in the ball and age. I'm flipping the balls and flipping the balls. PGN.